Well, good morning, guys. Oh, yeah, you can have a seat. So, someone has to say it, right? Otherwise, you'll stand the whole time, right? <laughs> well, good morning, everyone. It's, it's, um, it's great to be here. Man, it is always so fun for me um, to be anywhere, but I love being at Woodbine. A um, couple of things. Daniel, who's the big buff guy who was leading worship up here. Um, Daniel and I are, are great friends and uh, have had a good chance to bond since July when he came on. I know you guys have got to see him most Sundays here. Um, but good to see him and his wife leading worship. And although he's not here today, um, so I'm, I'm 23 years old. When I was 18, I became a Christian. And shortly after I became a Christian, I was doing a Bible study at a friend's apartment and Doug Jones came and led the Bible study and taught us how to fast. I've been a Christian for four months. I didn't even know fasting was a thing, but Doug Jones taught me how to fast. So um, it's always amazing being here and um, just the years I've known Doug and I've got to know Daniel. So um, even just this room, looking around at the flags and um, hearing um, spoken in Spanish, it's just amazing being at a, at a place like this. So um, I'm really thankful for Doug giving me the opportunity to be here today. And um, he helped me train and to prepare. So if you fall asleep or if it goes long, you'll just have to blame Doug, because he helped me. He helped get me with my outline. So, uh, of course, Doug gave me the last sermon on Habakkuk. So we've been going through Habakkuk for the last couple of weeks. And um, you guys just heard this. I see to start with a confession. This is a really difficult text. When you read this text, it is calling us to um, abandon property, to abandon comfort, to abandon these things. And um, I see to confess right off the bat, not only um, am I as a young man learning to follow the Lord, but I, I feel hypocritical with this text. I grew up in Nashville. This is a great place to live, but it's a comfortable place to live. I never wondered where my next meal was coming. This week, I'm studying this text while I'm gorging myself on pumpkin pie and turkey, reading about how Habakkuk's going to starve. And I'm shopping for a new computer on Black Friday. And I'm just so convicted that this is just a difficult text. I would just ask, um, as I come into this text, wanting to learn from it, I would just ask that we all keep an open mind. It's a challenging text. The Lord is calling us to something from this text. Um, but I really believe he has something special for us here. Habakkuk is one of the most often overlooked books of the Bible, but with one of the most powerful messages. So with that being said, I would like to pray for us one more time, just quickly as we open up um, God's word. So Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning. As I said, I pray that you would give us an open mind to hear from your word. I pray that you would go before us in your word today and you would make a way for us to hear from you. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, something about me, for, for those who maybe don't know, is I am, probably to an unhealthy extent, I love history. I love reading history. I love studying history. Never studied it in school. Maybe if I studied it in school, I wouldn't like it so much. But I love studying history. My fiance Adele is sitting over there in the third row. Um, she hates it because whenever we're looking for a movie or something on Netflix, I linger just a little bit too long on the documentary history section. She doesn't want to linger there. We got to get to the rom-coms. We got to get to the sitcoms. And that's what we end up watching. But truth of the matter is I love history. And Habakkuk is a book of the Bible that is steeped in biblical history, right? We've been studying it. There are kings, there are battles, there's warfare, there's God acting through history. And one of the things when you study history at all, unfortunately, is it tends to repeat itself. 
We tend to do the same things over again. Um, there's nothing new under the sun is what Ecclesiastes says. It just keeps boiling, bubbling back up. And I think that's true of this story in Habakkuk too. The people of Israel don't rely on the Lord um, like they should. If there's one thing you hear from me today, it's to rely on the Lord. That's why I'm convicted of this. I need to rely on the Lord as I'm reflecting on this this week. But the best way maybe to think about this history is to see another time, maybe it's repeated itself. So I don't really have a better way to intro this, except that we can pull up this picture of this funny looking guy. This is Emperor Napoleon III. You're like, where is he going with this? Emperor Napoleon III. He was known for, of course, his grandfather, Napoleon, and also for his very well-kept mustache that would intimidate his enemies. So Napoleon was the leader of France in a really difficult time for their country. They were degrading as the great power of Europe. Um, they had recently gone through the French Revolution and were now back to an emperor. And the people were clamoring for democracy. His popularity was at an all-time low. Meanwhile, there was an upstart power in Europe, Prussia, now known, of course, as Germany. Prussia was competing for power with France. They were led by an equally charismatic and well-mustached leader, Otto von Bismarck, they were natural rivals because uh, he's, got a, he's got a thicker mustache, I think. But Bismarck was known for being the best general of his time. He was working on uniting the German states into one country, which he would succeed with doing. But Emperor Napoleon III was terrified of this. He was terrified because he knew if Germany overtook them as the power, nobody would see France like they were before. So he prepared to go to war with Germany. He wanted a quick war that would just establish France as the primary power. Why did he do this? Well, there have been a couple new inventions at this time that his advisors had informed him of. The French had just invented a new rifle that would load almost twice as fast as the rifle before, and they had just made an amazing innovation in something called the machine gun that they were going to try out in this war. So in July, France went to war with Germany. They were confident It'd be a quick war. You know, you have the boys home for winter, for Christmas, right? That's not what happened. In two weeks, Germany had 400,000 troops on the front line. It didn't matter how many French people were there and how good their guns were. The Germans were more well-prepared. By December, the Germans had marched all the way to Paris, took it over, and had ousted Emperor Napoleon III from power. And within five months, oh yeah, here we see, we just got a good map here. They had marched all the way into Paris and they had ousted the emperor from power. Five months. This was a humiliating defeat for France. In maybe the most scathing moment of all of it, one historian said that France was so blinded by national pride that they had no idea what they were up against. So much so in five months they were defeated despite having superior technology. Why do I tell this story? I think for us, like France, like Judah in the time of Habakkuk, we are quicker to rely on our possessions, our innovations, our inventions, than to rely on our God. In short, we have no idea what we're up against, spiritually, physically, and we and I am so blinded by my pride in what I have that we have no idea what we're up against. So I ask you all the same question that maybe Habakkuk was being asked by the Lord. Are you ready? Are you prepared? 
or do you have no idea what you're up against? So I ask you, if you would open up your Bibles to Habakkuk, we are going to go verse by verse through Habakkuk 3, 16 through 19, as we've read. Um, but I'm going to take just a minute and even review Habakkuk. There's a lot here. Maybe we've missed a couple weeks, but I think it's important with these last verses to understand what has happened throughout the course of this book. So starting in chapter one, if you want to open your Bibles with me, I'll just be going through this rapid fire. Habakkuk is structured in three chapters, three prayers to God. God answers him a few times. Habakkuk starts chapter one. You can look at it with me here, crying to God. Why is there so much injustice in Judah? The people are doing, Judah's the southern kingdom at the time. The people are doing so much evil. This is supposed to be God's kingdom. How can you allow this? What are you going to do? God maybe doesn't respond the way Habakkuk expects. He says, Habakkuk, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to punish Judah. You can look here. I'm going to punish them by sending the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a pagan nation. God takes the time to describe them as fierce. They mock kings. They're so powerful. I'm going to send them to judge the crimes of Judah. And he would send them. This is a historical event. In the 6th century BC, Habakkuk is, is, is writing this. 50 years later, the late 5th century, Jerusalem would be invaded by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. The people would be sent into exile. This is like waking up today. Maybe you're in prayer before church and God just tells you, hey, just so you know, I'm going to destroy the state of Tennessee. I'm going to destroy the city of Nashville. But maybe not now, 50 years from now. So it wasn't Habakkuk necessarily that was reaping the consequences. It was his children, his grandchildren, his family. He may have also seen it himself, but he's just waiting on this impending doom. In chapter two, Habakkuk asks God again. He's waiting for God's response. You can see it in two verse one. I will stand at the guard post. God, I need to hear from you. What, what is this? And God does not answer him again in the same way. God says, he pronounces five of what is called in scholarship, the woe oracles. He says, Habakkuk, The people are so crooked. They're so prideful. Here's what's going to happen to them. Habakkuk, again, is caught off guard, but how does he respond? Turn to chapter three. This is actually a psalm or a song of response from Habakkuk. He's heard all these things in chapter one and chapter two, and this is how he responds to it. Last night, I was at the movies with with my mom, and she said, Billy, I know you're teaching tomorrow. I, I read the book of Habakkuk. I was so sad. There's not really a happy ending. But when you look at this, first of all, I think it's happier than maybe we expect. But look at the way Habakkuk responds. That's what maybe is the happy ending here. Chapter three, he responds in worship. A couple key things. Verse four, Habakkuk describes God as brilliant like light. He goes on to describe him as powerful like an earthquake. Habakkuk is trembling. He is experiencing God's power. And he has resigned himself. God, you are so much above me. To the point where he says in intense poetic language, verse 13, you come out to save your people, to save your anointed, likely meaning the nation of Israel. Despite what you're doing, I think this is actually for the best for our nation. How does Habakkuk get here? God is planning to save his people. How does Habakkuk prepare? How can we prepare? I just want to read these verses for us one more time to begin with the end in mind. Where does Habakkuk end up after hearing these calamities? I know you're sitting and standing. I would ask you to stand one more time in honor of God's word. Um, I just want us to read 16 through 19, just one more time, because these words are so powerful in how they're said. They're in poetic form. The word of the Lord says, Habakkuk says, I heard 
and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must wait quietly for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. This is the word of the Lord. You all can have a seat. So as you can see here, starting with the end in mind, Habakkuk somehow was prepared. He saw all these things that happened and he was prepared to face it. And the question I'm wondering is, how would we be prepared if this happened to us? If we had maybe not a physical attack, maybe a spiritual attack, what would we do if the only promise was that God would be with us? That's the only promise that Habakkuk has. How does he prepare? How will we prepare? Verse 16, the first way Habakkuk prepares is simply by trembling. In this verse, oh, we can see it on here, perfect. We see Habakkuk just trembling before the Lord. He literally says that word, trembling. He says, my lips quivered. My bones feel rotten. I trembled where I stood. These are physiological terms. What does that mean? These are physical terms. Habakkuk is feeling this coming destruction in his body. And when we read verses 18, 19, 17, 18, we see that it's going to take a literal physical effect. He's feeling this deeply in his bones. Notice one thing here in this, in this poetic language. Habakkuk says, I heard. I heard. I'm hearing this coming. Um, there's a couple ways to take this. Some people take this as Habakkuk just heard from the Lord. But some people take this potentially as poetic language. Habakkuk is hearing in his mind the sound of horses galloping to battle, of swords clanging against shield, of, of speeches by Nebuchadnezzar and the soldiers coming to invade. He hears this and he is terrified. And what may seem counterintuitive to us, Habakkuk actually prepares for this by trembling. He admits that he has no idea what God is doing. His legs are shaking. He's feeling the rot entering him. And he prepares by trembling, by acknowledging his lowness before God, by acknowledging he has no idea what's happening, but he fears the Lord. So I ask you, and I ask myself, are we prepared to tremble before the Lord? The second way Habakkuk prepares is by then turning to the Lord. Verses 17, and then we'll go to verse 18. These are some of the most powerful verses in the scripture on turning to the Lord in the face of trouble. Look at what's happening here. Habakkuk is saying, hey, maybe as the result of this invasion, the fig tree is not going to bud. There's no fruit on the vines. The olive crop will fail. The flocks are disappearing. What does this mean? Israel is an agrarian society. If this failed, Habakkuk is saying, I am accepting that I will die. My family will die. If the crops fail, they are not going to get food. Maybe the rich can trade for some, but they're not getting food. We don't live in an agrarian society. So what's an example of this for us? I have a story. In the 1940s, there was a pastor and theologian in Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You may have heard of him. He's written some books, pretty famous. He faced a moral dilemma. The Nazis were rising to power. World War II was starting, and the Nazis required all pastors 
and preachers to, to align their churches with the Nazi party. If you didn't align your church with the Nazi party, they wanted the support of the religious people. If you didn't align your church, you would be sent to a concentration camp or just killed on the spot. Dietrich Bonhoeffer did not. He was sent to a concentration camp. And he had this quote, um, if we have it. Yep. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. He's meaning that literally. This is what Habakkuk had to accept. It could be physical death. It could be spiritual death for us to pick up our cross and come and be prepared to die for the Lord. This is an example. Modern day, maybe it wasn't the fig trees failing, but it was he lost everything, but he wasn't going to align with the Nazis. But look at verse 18. Look at where Habakkuk goes. He turns to the Lord in spite of all these things, literally facing his death. Habakkuk says, yet in spite of this, I will celebrate to the Lord. I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. This can seem to a lot of us like blind obedience, like naive trust. And I know I've encountered this in my life. I didn't grow up Christian. I didn't grow up believing this. And one of the reasons was it seems so naive. It seems, how can we just, just trust this? But notice, this is not naive trust. This isn't just trusting to just grit and bear it. Look at how the, the prepositions are used in this. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. This is language of a festival, of a party, but he's not saying I get to do this. He's saying the only way I do this is by turning to the Lord. So Habakkuk trembled. He's turning to the Lord as his only way. He's forced to realize that his existence is not based on his outer comfort, but in his inner peace, on the things that God gave him. For all of us, it's not based on the food. It's not based on our possessions, but on the God who actually created those things. He created that food that Habakkuk was running out of. God, in this case, actually sent this punishment. And Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I am turning to you. I've trembled, and now I'm turning to you. The last way Habakkuk prepared, verse 19, Habakkuk prepares by trusting. He's trusting in the Lord. Habakkuk doesn't become, he's facing his death. He doesn't become obsessed with doom and gloom. He doesn't become a doomsday prepper. He becomes a passionate worshiper. He turns to trusting the Lord. He says, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He's not just stopping at turning to the Lord. He's actually placing his trust into him. You'll notice even here on the screen, that first word, the first word of Lord is in all caps. What does that mean? Yahweh. It means Yahweh. It's the personal name of God. He's saying Yahweh Adonai is my strength. Personal name for God and then his title. This is like us saying Jesus, my king. What is Habakkuk showing here? He's showing that he knows the Lord personally. He's showing that he's close enough to the Lord and he places him as Lord in his life so that he can be strong in him. And notice what's happened over the course of these verses to Habakkuk's feet. Weirdest thing I've ever said, teaching somebody. But look at what happens to Habakkuk's feet. Remember when they were trembling, his legs were shaking. Now his feet are like those of a deer. He's able to walk on mountain heights. He's able to be nimble and graceful like a deer. His feet that were shaking are now strong. But submitting to this king is not like what Habakkuk was afraid of. He was afraid of submitting to Nebuchadnezzar. He was afraid of submitting to the Babylonians. That's not what this is. This submission, submitting to this Lord, actually gives Habakkuk strength. 
This submission makes him stronger. Habakkuk is not stronger than other people. He's not stronger than the rest of us. He actually just submits more to God. He's more submissive. Habakkuk is prepared by trembling, by turning, and by trusting. What would we do when we're faced with our death? What would we do when we don't know how to turn from the Lord, how to turn to the Lord? What would we do when we have to trust him in things we don't understand? Are we going to become worshipers? Are we going to panic? Are we going to be on the street yelling at people? Are we prepared? And how do we prepare? Well, Habakkuk prepared by trembling, turning, and trusting. We prepare by relying on the Lord. Habakkuk has made himself an example of Habakkuk verse 2-4, two, two, if you want to flip to it, where the Lord was speaking to him. The Lord says, the righteous will live by faith. This is quoted in the New Testament by Paul in Romans 1. The righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk has made himself an, an example of being the righteous person living by faith. And we still can do that. We prepare by relying on the Lord. We rely on him. Simple way to, simple way to remember it. We tremble, we turn, and we trust. This is how Habakkuk did it. We tremble, we turn, and we trust. We will never be ready. We'll never be prepared. We'll never be ready if we don't rely on God. And if we don't rely on him, we're never going to be ready for what life throws at us. I really believe, and I, I'm going to show you where Jesus says it. I believe that the enemy wants to lull us into a false sense of security. He wants us to rely on these things. He wants us to rely on our comfort, our possessions, and not rely on the Lord. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 6, verse 24 through 26. I'm not sure if we'll have this one up here, but I will read it. Jesus says, right after saying the Beatitudes, blessed be, look what Jesus says here. Luke 6, 24 through 26, woe to you who are rich for you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors spoke of the false prophets. Jesus basically flips what he just said. He says, woe to you if you're the other way, if you're not poor in spirit, if you are not hungry, if you're full you will be hungry. If you're rich, you've got your comfort. You won't get it in the next life. This is a strong teaching from our, our, our Savior, our Lord Jesus. But Habakkuk, he didn't know this teaching yet. And he also didn't have the full picture. He trembled, turned, and trusted with what he had. But Habakkuk was lamenting over the physical death of Jerusalem, of his people in Judah, of course, Jerusalem would be rebuilt. They would resettle it. It would be destroyed again in AD 70. 600 years after Habakkuk, God fulfilled his promises to Habakkuk, but not the way Habakkuk thought. He didn't restore the physical kingdom of Judah. He didn't rebuild Jerusalem. He sent Jesus to build the kingdom of God, not through walls and cities and brick and mortar and food and drink, but through people and through the Holy Spirit who when he lives inside us, we have the power to tremble and to turn and to trust. We don't have this without the Holy Spirit. Jesus wasn't fulfilling Habakkuk's promise by simply just giving him the physical things back. He was fulfilling his promise to Habakkuk 
by sending him spiritual fulfillment. Habakkuk learned that spiritual fulfillment is much greater than physical fulfillment. And now we have the full picture. We know what Jesus did. We know what, hap- what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. He says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, die to yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. We have the power to not need these things. We have the power to not see God as residing in a physical kingdom, but in a spiritual kingdom that fills the hearts of everyone who would follow Jesus. And we have the option to tremble, to turn, and to trust. Or we have the option, like Judah, like the French, to be so blinded by our pride and so blinded by the things that we have that we would end up actually having less than we even imagined. It would be like the Israelites who, when Jerusalem were destroyed, had to leave and they had even more prophets come to them because even after God had punished them, they missed it. We have the chance to not miss it. We have Jesus who we can turn to. I'm gonna ask the band to come up here as I, as I wrap up. There's a couple of options that we have to have. There's a couple of responses that we can have. As I ask us, are we prepared? Are we prepared? Some of us need to tremble before the Lord for the first time or for the millionth time. Some of us have not trusted in Jesus. Some of us have not even feared the Lord in the first place. We need to go before him on our knees. We need to be praying to him. We can repent and believe in the gospel and receive his Holy Spirit. Some of us need to tremble before the Lord. To those who tremble before the Lord, Jesus says to you that you can repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. If you repent and believe, you will be enabled to trust. It may not be easy, but it's also not a naive trust. Are you prepared to tremble before the Lord? Maybe some of us in this room have trouble before the Lord. We know the Lord, but we need to turn to him. We know him as our God. We come to church in the morning. We may even open our Bibles, but we need to turn to him. When's the last time we've asked the Lord before we make a decision? When's the last time we tried to do the will of the Lord? We've turned to him. We've read his word. We've studied it and what we need to do in our lives. For those of us who need to turn to the Lord, Jesus says that you can cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You can tremble. Are you ready to turn to the Lord? Lastly, are you prepared to trust in the Lord? Maybe you've trembled before him. Maybe you've turned to him, but we have to trust him. I know for me, I come from a background of addiction. I come from a background of family turmoil. And every day I have to trust in the Lord that his plans for me are greater than my own that the Lord has a way. I can tremble and I can turn to him all I want, but if I don't ultimately trust him, I lose the power that Habakkuk had to face these things and to be prepared. To those of us who need to trust in the Lord, Jesus says to you that he is the good shepherd. He will guide you to green pasture. He will take you to the place where you need to be. So I ask all of us today, are we prepared? Are you prepared? If gas becomes $15 a gallon, if inflation hits a point where we've never seen it before, if we're invaded, if sharing the gospel at your work means you'll get fired, if discipling people 
means you lose money, means you lose things, are you prepared? Am I prepared this week? (laughs) If all else fails, will we be blinded by our pride in our inventions, in our innovations, or will we tremble before Jesus, turn to him and trust him by relying on him? So I leave you with the question we started with. Are you prepared? I believe that Jesus will make you prepared if you tremble, turn, and trust him. But the question remains, are you prepared? Let's pray. Lord, Lord, this is, this is heavy. This is a tough teaching, Lord. We love the place we're at. We love our things. We love our possessions. But God, we love you even more. Lord, help us, help me to put down the things that make me comfortable, to put down the money and be willing to give it, to put down my time and be willing to give it, to tremble before you when I see challenges, to turn to you and to trust you. Lord, in the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, would you prepare us? Would you put on us the armor of God that we could have the confidence of God that would sustain us. In Jesus' name, will you prepare us? Amen.